Good evening and welcome to ASMR. I'm Simone Knightley and I hope you're doing well. I'm very glad you're here. I'm excited to share tonight's story with you. We are going to have an adventure on the high seas this evening. But before we do that, let's get settled in and get comfortable. Feel the bed around you as you sink into it. Take a few deep cleansing breaths if that feels good for you. And then let's get started. Blackbeard, Henry Morgan, Sir Francis Drake, Anne Bunny, and the fictional Jack Sparrow are all famous pirate captains. They are cemented in the history books and romanticized in song, film, books, and even rum. However, even with all of their fleets and men combined, which would approximate over 80 ships and 5,000 men, they still don't even remotely match up to the most successful pirate in history, whose fleet was upward of 2,000 ships and between 50,000 and 80,000 pirates who served under her red flags. Her name was Chung Shu, also known as Chung Yi Sao, or Madame Chung, amongst other names you may see attached to her. I'm going to call her Madame Chung for our story tonight, to help better differentiate everyone. Before we get into her wild rags-to-riches tale, let's go back to 1775, to the port city of Guangzhou in Imperial China during the Qing Dynasty. It is 45 years after the end of the Golden Age of Piracy, which ran from 1650 to 1730. Being a port city, it was a hub of trade and travel, with boats on the water, fishing or selling barber services, groceries, and the oldest commodity, sex. But most of Guangzhou's population was very poor. It wasn't unusual that fishermen would often moonlight as small-scale pirates to support themselves and their families, especially in the off-season. Many women were sex workers in the city's 8,000 brothels. It's interesting to me that they were technically illegal, considering the vast number of them that existed. However, if it was off-land and you paid your bribes, you could run your bordello on the water, called a flower boat. Flower boats were ornately carved and actually quite beautiful. They were all in one pleasure dance, featuring gambling, opium, and love for hire. It was in one of these boats that our story begins. Madame Chung wasn't born on one. But since very little was known about her early life, history often starts her story here. She was probably somewhere between 15 and 20 when she started her work in the brothel. Her reputation grew quickly as quite the courtesan due to her calm, poised manner, lavish hospitality, and apparent beauty. She had many high-profile clients, which included the rich citizens, military commanders, courtiers in the royal palace, and wealthy merchants. 
It is said that she dealt in secrets and information, as is a common trope for sex workers in many stories. She knew the inner workings of many military, royal, and local affairs, and this sort of information can be very valuable, particularly to a, quote, low-born woman of ill repute, unquote. But she wasn't a little blushing flower who loved to gossip. She was very intelligent and a shrewd businesswoman. With the information she knew, as well as how experienced she became with her clients, she was famous for her excellent advice and ability to influence the men that she was with. It is here in 1801 where Shun Yi enters our tale. With the exception of his father, who was a temple builder, Shun Yi followed in the footsteps of the generations of pirates before him and commanded a large fleet. He spent a solid amount of his time pirating and working as a mercenary for rebels in neighboring Vietnam during the Tay Shun Rebellion in 1771 to 1802. Though the Tay Shun rebels won for a short time, they were under threat of Chinese invasion and the Vietnamese government they just overthrew trying to retake power. In order to hold their position, the rebels hired the help of the Guangzhou pirates to fight battles on the sea and to raid the coast, Sheng Yi's fleet included. The story varies on how Sheng Yi and Madame Sheng met. Some say that his fleet raided the flower boat and captured the woman aboard. Upon seeing Madame Sheng, he was struck by her beauty and asked her to be unchained. Once released, she promptly leapt up at him in an attempt to scratch his eyes out. The story that I prefer is the one where Shun Yi was most likely one of her clients, and he realized how clever and astute she was in business and finance, and impressed by how much she knew of military strategy and secrets. Some sources say that Madame Shang had inside knowledge of a crackdown on piracy from one of her military clients. She passed this along to Shun Yi, keeping him out of harm's way when the time came. Regardless of which story you prefer, the outcome is the same. Shun Yi proposed to 26-year-old Madame Sheng. She accepted, but only after insisting that she was not going to be eye candy or any man's property. She then negotiated a contract where she was his equal in nearly every way, in which she would share in half of his riches and have control in some aspects of the fleet's business and finances. There is a third major person in this story, which adds another interesting layer. Sheng Yi's trusted lieutenant, Zhang Bao, started his career with Sheng Yi as a 15-year-old captive from a coastal town. He was also Sheng Yi's lover. With Sheng Yi and Madame Chung's marriage, they decided to adopt the man who, by that point, was a full-grown adult. While this might sound unusual, it was actually a common practice for people to adopt other adults as a way to have an heir and someone to bequeath property, title, and power under your name. Now married and ruling their fleet together, the power couple sailed back to Vietnam to continue assisting the Tai Shan rebels with the petty pirates crew led by Chung Chi. Chung Chi was a well-known pirate captain in the area 
and a mentor to Sheng Yi. Unfortunately, within the year, Chung Chi was ordered to be killed by the Vietnamese emperor who had enough of Chinese pirates in Vietnam waters. With one of their major captains dead, the Chinese pirates fled back to their nation's shores. Having a unified purpose in Vietnam helped keep the Guangzhou pirates focused and cooperative with each other. Without that, civil war started to break out. Seeing an opportunity, Sheng Yi and Madame Zhang gathered the pirates and essentially said, Hey, we worked together in Vietnam and it was successful. Why can't we do that here? So together they created a pirate confederacy and divided the fleets by color. Red, black, blue, white, green, and yellow. Ships must have at least one of their fleet's colored flags flying at all times and were not allowed to change it at any point. The Red Fleet was as large as all the others combined and was captained by Sheng Yi. In his fleet alone, there were about 10 to 40 warships. The largest ones could carry 400 people and 30 cannons. The smaller ships, called junks, were captured merchant ships fitted with cannons and could carry about 200 people each. I use the word people because women and even children were on pirate ships as part of the crew, unlike the 1600s, where women were seen as an ill omen and not allowed. Rather, the women in this story fought right alongside the men and were also a part of the piracy. This new confederacy also drafted a specific code of conduct for all of its members. Number one. All fleets must honor protection contracts made between fleets and towns. For example, if the Black Fleet comes to your town to raid and plunder, and your town's leader can show their letter of protection from the Green Fleet, the Black Fleet must respect that protection contract and move along to the next town. Number two, there is also a court started for offenses. Number three, they established a fund for each of the six colored fleets. Whatever booty a ship plundered had to be reported to the fleet's captain. In the case of the Red Fleet, it was Sheng Li. Your ship could keep 20% of the value of what you captured, and the remaining 80% went into the fleet fund. This kitty paid to make repairs to ships, pay crew members, and was also used for welfare if any ship's crew lost their boat or fell on hard times. With this new code of conduct and fund in place, each fleet's accountant in charge of said fund reported directly to Madame Sheng, making her the CFO of the entire pirate confederacy. With everything in place for a fresh start, the newly united fleets turned to the South China Sea as their area of operation. I think it's good we take a break here for a moment before we get into the swashbuckling and take a brief second to make something clear. I think Madame Chung's story is really cool in the sense that she came from very little and used her intelligence and business savvy to amass the largest pirate armada in the history of the world. I admire how she was a renegade and achieved this massive feat. 
but my admiration of her deeds ends there. I don't want to glamorize her and make her sound like a hero or a Robin Hood type figure because she wasn't. She was still a pirate, and pirates throughout history, regardless of their gender or time period, are thieves and almost always murderers and rapists. As our story progresses, I will not detail the punishments she doled out or the kind of things they all got up to, but let's just say that it's really terrible and about as bad as you might be able to imagine. So with that said, let's jump into part two. Part two, South China Sea. This area of the world then, as it is in the present day, contains 250 little islands. Lush, green islands that are perfect for hiding a pirate crew. In addition to perfect hiding spots, the Imperial Chinese government inadvertently gifted the Confederacy a mandated trade route to run right through this part of the sea. With hundreds of ships coming and going, trade routes amongst these tiny islands would often bottleneck, giving an excellent opportunity for an ambush. The different fleets made a large amount of their money providing protection to salt merchants and their different coastal town protection agreements. Some historians say that, at any given time, a red flag fleet could be sailing with $2 million in today's American currency. After six years of ruling the South China Sea together, Sheng Yi died. He was either thrown from the ship during a storm or might have died during a battle. Regardless of how he died, there was a sudden opening for Captain. Because he was the adopted son, Zhang Bao could technically claim power, but Madame Chung was already known and well-respected amongst the other fleet captains, and they already recognized her as a leader anyway. She initiated a sexual relationship with Zhang Bao, which kept him close and loyal. With that, she was able to consolidate power quickly and somewhat seamlessly. Anyone who did object were swiftly and publicly dealt with, which discouraged anyone else from stepping out of line. Now the commander of the Red Fleet and head of the Pirate Confederacy, she added another set of rules to the code pertaining to women. Number one, attractive women were ransomed, and those pregnant or deemed weak or unattractive were immediately released. Number two, any female captives were not to be assaulted or molested in any way. If a crew member sexually assaulted a captive, he would be immediately put to death. If the relationship was consensual, they were both put to death. However, if the pirate wished to marry the woman, he could do so without any repercussions, but he had to be able to fully provide for her and remain faithful to her throughout his career in the fleet. All of her rules were strictly and swiftly enforced. She ruled her fleets in the sea with an iron fist, doling out draconian punishments to her crew and to the unfortunate souls of other navies who dared try to capture her. The worst punishments were saved for the Chinese navy. She sank 63 Chinese government vessels, which prompted the Portuguese and English navies to stay out of her way and refuse to get involved in her capture. Upon seeing red flags, many captains ignored her ships, giving her a wide berth. 
It even got to the point where some officers would rather take their own lives than be taken captive by her. Some would sabotage the boats, sinking them or incapacitating them so that they wouldn't have to go out and engage with her on the sea. Madame Chung's reign of terror wasn't ended with her capture, but rather with cracks appearing in the Confederacy. The leader of the Black Flag Squadron, Kuo Po Tai, didn't seem to like Zhang Bao. Either Kuo Po Tai didn't approve of Zhang Bao's relationship with Madame Sheng, or was jealous of it, but he started to create dissension. In late 1809, a series of encounters with the Portuguese Navy were known as the Battle of Tiger's Mouth, which refers to the Pearl River Delta south of Guangzhou. In the final encounters at the end of the year, Kuo Po Tai realized that if he took a deal with the government, it could break up the pirate confederacy. The emperor had been trying for years to get pirates to surrender, sweetening the deal over time. During a battle, the Black Fleet refused to come to Zhang Bao's aid, leaving him stranded without enough ships to win against the Portuguese. Instead, Kuo Po Tai took the emperor's deal and secured himself a naval position. Being the second largest squadron, the departure of the Black Fleet left Madame Cheng without reinforcements at the Battle of the Tiger's Mouth. Zhang Bao became trapped in the River Delta. With nowhere else to go, he had to surrender to the Portuguese. With a dwindling fleet, Madame Cheng decided the time had come to negotiate a deal with the Chinese government. And negotiate she did. In 1810, she and other unarmed women in the fleet came to the governor-general of Guangzhou. Once again, she negotiated an amazing deal for herself, Zhang Bao, and most of their crew. Both her and Zhang Bao received a full pardon and kept all of their wealth, 30 of their junk-sized vessels, funds to relocate into the city, and Zhang Bao received an officer position as a naval mandarin, hunting down other pirates. Most of her crew were allowed to move on with their lives and go home, or join the navy under Zhang Bao's command. In return for her deal, some of her crew received jail time or exile for a certain period. She gave up 350 of what she deemed her worst men for execution. In addition, the emperor wanted her and Zhang Bao to bow to him, which they refused to do. So, at an impasse, they decided to annul their adoptive mother-son relationship in the court so they could marry. The marriage ceremony includes a bow to the emperor as part of the tradition, so everyone was happy. The emperor received his show of respect, and Madame Sheng and Zhang Bao could write it off as just a part of the ceremony. Retired at 35, Madame Sheng and Zhang Bao had a son together. She enjoyed the wealth from her life pirating the seas and the privileges afforded to her due to Zhang Bao's position in the Navy. He himself had a highly praised career chasing pirates up until his death 12 years later. With her 30 junk ships, she started a salt business and perhaps even dabbled in some smuggling. Some stories have it that she used her business savvy to set up her own brothel and gambling business, which brings her story full circle.
Whatever she might have done post-piracy, it seems that she and her son had long and full lives. Madame Chung died of natural causes at the age of 69 in 1844. Thank you for joining me tonight. I hope you have a wonderful and restful sleep, inspired dreams, and an empowered tomorrow. Good night.